Welcome to ACNL in Action, brought to you by the Association of California Nurse Leaders. I'm your host, Charlene Platon. It's hard to believe that it's back to school already. And with students and instructors alike getting ready for the new school year, we thought it'd be great to have on Brandon Dominguez, author of the new book, Empowering Educators, a Comprehensive Guide to Fostering Student Success. Brandon is currently an instructor for pre-licensure nursing, and he's also a longtime member of ACNL and a previous member of the Nurse Leadership Development Committee, as well as an author at Assessment Technologies Institute. Welcome, Brandon. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Charlene, how's it going? Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here today. And yes, I can't believe it. This The new school term is already starting, and that's uh, always an exciting and anxiety-provoking time for many. Yeah, absolutely. Time is just flying by. The summer just went by, and I cannot believe that it's already almost September. And, you know, let's dive in. There's a lot for us to talk about. Can you tell us about your background and your journey in the field of nursing, you know, especially with your focus on education? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, you know, originally when I was a kid, I, I always wanted to actually be a garbage truck driver because I used to get so excited <laughs> when they drive down the street. And I used to think to myself, you know, there they go, the luckiest people in the world. They get to drive <laughs> giant robots for a living. And, and, you know, my parents would kind of look at me hesitantly and be like, yeah, you know, that's really cool. But you could also be an engineer or a lawyer, too, if you wanted. So, you know, right. fast mm-hmm. forward to uh, a few years later, I started working full time as a CNA in a step-down telemetry unit. And I learned so much there about a healthcare system. And that really inspired me to want to do more. So I went back to school and uh, earned my associate degree in nursing from Riverside City College. And I took my first job as an RN working on an inpatient pediatric behavioral health unit. Um, and, and And I was there for a few years. And I came across one of my first big career decisions. I was uh, given the opportunity uh, to work as a case manager. And along with that came moving to another city and another campus. And and really, this move was was really hard for me because I really did enjoy working with a pediatric population. And, and this new case, man- case management job was going to be with adults. So mm-hmm. uh, the team that I had the opportunity to work with was great. And, you know, shout out to Loma Linda University, BMC is a you know, great place to work. Um, and, and it really did feel like I was working with my best friends every shift. And what what really excited me most about the new job and and what ultimately kind of pushed me to take that leap of faith was uh, I was going to be moving from working with about six patients a week to uh, somewhere about over 30 patients a week. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I, I did that case management job position for a while and, and I got to work with adults with dual diagnoses and experience giving that type of care in an outpatient setting and Everyone on the care team there had at least a master's degree, and I and, and at that point I was like, oh my gosh, I really got to step my education game up, game up, and, and really learn more. So it, it was a, definitely a little bit of imposter syndrome. So I, mm-hmm. I went through Western Governor University's bachelor's program, and that's really when more op- opportunities started opening up for me. And and by then I had a few years of experience in my BSN, uh, and I decided that it'd be kind of fun to make a personal website that could also kind of serve as uh, like a resume for me. So. I made dominguesnursing.com and and this was before LinkedIn and all of those other wonderful resources (laughs) that we have now. But, you know, even today, uh, it's still kind of something special about having your own website. So, uh, you know, after working with a case management job, I was uh, contacted uh, 
to work with a health insurer Anthem or like Blue Shield, Blue Cross. Many people know them as that. Um, and, and this was really exciting because I had the opportunity to work with healthcare facilities all over the country. And my weekly caseload went from something like 30 patients a week to like well over 100. And it wow. was it was really, yeah, it was really an interesting <laughs> position because I got to work directly with the patients as well as the care teams from all over the country. And, and that that really opened my eyes to, you know, the whole perspective of healthcare throughout the country. And after working for that job for a few years, I started to notice a trend. And from my pre previous experiences, uh, you know, I thought that California was the only state that really struggled with mental health care and resources. But, uh, you know, I, I was definitely wrong. Nearly every state that I worked with had the same challenges. And after reviewing over probably, you know, thousands of care and treatment plans, it, it was it was kind of heartbreaking, you know, and mm -hmm. I asked myself, you know, who, who's in charge of delivering the care? You know, who's really in charge of delivering the treatment? Why, why were the, why was the patient experience in mental health hospitals generally poor and who can really affect the patient outcomes? And, and honestly, it was the nurses. And right. this, this experience served as my inspiration to go back to school and get my master's degree in education, because I believe that if I could change the perspective on mental health nursing with the next generation of nurses, then then I could be far more impactful than anything that I could do alone or by myself. Absolutely. And it sounds like you've had a very diverse experience in your nursing career. And, you know, you've had your clinical experience, your work in administration and in research. And really, how have all these different roles influenced your approach mm -hmm. now to nursing education and to student success? They all really have influenced my perspective. And and of course, working on the floor, you know, you're doing your best to give the best quality of care possible. But, you know, you, you kind of find yourself in a position where you can only really react to the policies made by administration. And you, you kind of do this without really understanding why the changes are being made or how the change was even mm -hmm. developed in the first place. So, you know, being or having some experience on the administrative side really helped me understand that, you know, healthcare is really, it's a business. And, and I think that most people don't like to think of healthcare organizations like a business because there's this kind of cultural stigma towards the word business and the concept of making a profit and all of that. But administration mm -hmm. really opened my eyes to doing your best to keep the business afloat so that way your nurses on your team can continue to give high quality care. But, you know, I, I really fell in love with research when I completed my doctor of nursing practice. And, and that's where I feel like everything really came full circle for me. And the idea of taking a problem and seeing what solutions are effective and developing a plan to implement it where you work it, you know, it really scratched that creative and problem solving side of my personality. And with all of this considered, I think that's what makes being a teacher so interesting. It's uh, I have these opportunities to be a clinical nurse, uh, administrative nursing and research nursing kind of all in one. It's it's honestly a very challenging job, but but I find it to be one of the most rewarding ones. Yeah, that's great. And you know, it's very interesting with your experience as a student outcome specialist, right? I think as a nurse, it's not always an opportunity that we might have and that people may know about. And what advice do you commonly offer to nursing students, you know, to help them succeed in their educational journey and their future careers? How does that you know, and how does that tie to your own journey as a student? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I kind of get that question a lot, especially when uh, students are getting ready to graduate or when I'm uh, mentoring like those in master's programs and things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest 
or, or, the, or the largest takeaway that I can probably give someone is, is, you know, never assume that any of your current methods really in anything are the most effective and always be willing to accept that there's a more effective way of doing it. Yeah, absolutely. And how can you apply some of these strategies from empowering educators to help with fostering student success in nursing education? Well, what I hope for those who read the book is realize that as a nurse, you already have many of the skills necessary to foster student success. And and what I mean by that is that the nursing process and clinical judgment, it, it really does carry over to being a successful educator. And, and in fact, the structure of the book is based off the nursing process. And when you read through mm-hmm. it, you should feel right at home when thinking about how you can apply the principles. And for example, uh, after the introduction section in the book, you know, I kind of go right into understanding and recognizing at-risk behaviors. And let's think about a student who says that they have no interest in a particular topic. And, you know, I get that a lot when they come to mental health, they're like, I don't want to be in mental health. I want to be like an emergency department nurse. And it's like, okay, okay. Like, let's give me a moment here. Right. So, you know, what do you, what do you do about that? And, and what, what affects the behavior, uh, you know, on their overall progress for, for success. And I think that most people tend to say that, well, you know, it can't be good. Or the more troublesome type of comment I often hear is, well, maybe they just don't want to be a nurse. And and hang on to that idea for a second. So let's think about this as a clinical scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, let's say you have a patient that comes to your unit, you know, for the third time uh, related to something like diabetic ketoacidosis. And you work really hard and give the patient the best type of exercise and diet education. And, and you even go as far as a place, a dietitian consult and the whole treatment team comes together with the same conclusion that the patient doesn't seem interested or engaged during education. You know, and I hope, sure is hope that we don't just say, well, this patient doesn't want to be healthy, right? Uh, you know, as a great nurse, we look into other factors that may be contributing to the client's behaviors, just as a great instructor would start to look at factors that that also might contribute to poor engagement, like how's the student's mental health? You know, what are the resources at home look like? Or maybe they just have ineffective study and test taking strategies. So, you know, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think one of the biggest takeaways to have is to think about your students, you know, the same way as you would as your patients with that patient-centered, student-centered type of approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that your book is really tied to the nursing process. I think that makes it a lot easier for nurses in these roles to help um, take these principles and apply mm-hmm. them um, in their careers and when they're working with nursing students and with other colleagues. And you know, on that, uh, is there any ways that you'd recommend if I'm a nurse leader and I want to really leverage your book's principles? Um, how can I really use the book's principles to empower nursing and nursing instructors and educators to excel in these roles, especially if they're having uh-huh. challenges with that? Yeah, well, well, Charlene, you know, the, the one thing that that always bothered me about many of these, you know, books that are based on theory that are out there. And, and there's just a very small or, or little to no discussion on the practical approaches for the ideas that mm-hmm. are discussed. So, uh, you know, I really wanted to make sure that I included exercises for applying the ideas that I talk about in the book. And, uh, you know, I made sure to include activities at the end of every major idea with an example for, for reference. So, Uh, You know, for example, uh, you know, studies show that when stakeholders in a student's education are involved and engaged, that the odds of the student being successful, you know, they dramatically increase 
And when, when I say stakeholders for a student, we're talking about their parents, significant others, or even other members in the community. So uh, one activity uh, in the fourth section of the book, the celebrating success section, has the reader brainstorm strategies for increasing stakeholder involvement. And I give some examples like inviting community leaders to come speak to the students or, you know, even partnering with a like a local non-government organization to help kind of bolster and develop those community resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that the book has a lot of practical strategies to help, you know, excel in their careers and help nursing uh, leaders, educators to really take this advice and use it. Because you're right, it's it's often missing in our training to to take some of these concepts that could be pretty abstract and really apply them into practice. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to nursing leaders, that's absolutely true as well. And and so as a nursing leader, or for those who may be listening who are nursing leaders, what key takeaways do you think nurse managers can use to implement these principles from your book and enhance their, their own leadership skills? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, th- I think that, you know, the empowering educators that, you know, it really revolves around introspection and that that concept of self-evaluation. And I pose some challenging questions to the readers, like evaluating their own work-life balance as well as their students, or how they think their cultural perspective influences their work as an educator. And, and mm-hmm. now the answer to these questions provide really, really valuable data to the educator on how they can improve and 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 really evaluate yourself even further Um than, than you would in, in like a like a mentorship or something like that. So, you know, there's so much to gain from being able to discuss your career challenges with a trusted person and as well as your own uh, offering your own insights to others who are experiencing challenges in their career. And uh, I, I would just recommend to use empowering educators as a discussion guide for mentorships or even as a topic for ongoing academic team development. And, and I really can't emphasize enough how important mentorships can be for everyone. And I still keep in touch with people who've helped me throughout my own career. And, you know, a big shout out and thanks to Pat Patton over at Swedish Medical Center mm-hmm. in Washington. He's, he's always been a great advocate and resource for me whenever I have these challenging uh, or, you know, really interesting points throughout my uh, career decisions. Yeah, and that's wonderful. And, you know, I I think that one thing in my own journey as a nursing leader is that it's been hard to find a book that really captures all of these key areas for growth and ask these hard questions, right? Um, and I feel I often felt that there weren't a lot of books that really apply to nursing leaders. Mm-hmm. I think it's always a little bit more general and it's kind of hard to really seek that, uh, what you really need to grow. And, you know, do you actually have any examples of any successful implementations of these um, strategies in your book that you've seen used in yeah. real life oh. nursing education settings? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me think about that. There was an organization I was working with as a consultant to help with their turnover rate um, with their floor nurses on their mental health inpatient units. And, uh, you know, one of the recurring themes from a number of their exit, exit interviews was was burnout. You know, some people mm-hmm. would just leave the word burnout and that's it. That's all the data would kind of get now. Burnout is a is a very real challenge across the healthcare spectrum. And uh, what was interesting is that the mental health units had the same number of licensed and unlicensed nurses working on the floor, but the other medical units weren't experiencing such a high turnover rate. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I took the data together and I observed the, the units and workflows for a couple of weeks and, and collected all of that information. And I came, came to the conclusion that the licensed and unlicensed nurses were poorly equipped 
with therapeutic communication skills. And Mm -hmm. when there was a stressful event, like a combative patient, uh, you know, the staff rarely debriefed. And it Mm -hmm. wasn't like this on the medical units. You know, when a code blue happened on a medical unit, there was always, always a nice debriefing session. Everyone had a chance to kind of share how they feel, but this wasn't really happening on the mental health units because they weren't really treating those code grays as, as a, as a something that had to be debriefed. And, and the very few times when it was debriefed, it was just poorly executed. And and it just felt like everyone was debriefing just to check a box off on the unit's incident report. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I developed a series of educational workshops and simulations, and I helped them establish a mentorship program for that unit. And we we practice awesome. advanced therapeutic communication techniques and how to properly debrief. And the mentorship program had weekly check-ins with every single nurse. And, and what we did was create this culture where the staff would cover the unit while a nurse was in a mentorship meeting, you know, just as they would as if they were on a lunch break. And and honestly, I'm really proud to say that over this three-month period working with this organization, we we decreased the amount of incidents that resulted in a code gray or a, you know, like a combative patient by, by almost 40%. And we decreased the turnover rate by, it was something like we decreased it by like 15%. So, you know, really the takeaway from that story that, that, that I really get from it is that, you know, both patients and nurses alike, you know, they, they really appreciate it when they feel like they're being heard. Yeah. And those are amazing outcomes. I just want to say congratulations to you for, yeah, yeah, that that's really, really amazing. And you really emphasize some key points. It's really the, it's really the, the mentorship. It's really being heard. It's really looking at the culture and finding ways to Mm -hmm. improve that. And that helps both the staff and the patients, especially in that example that you just shared. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's really awesome to see how how some of these changes, especially when you give some more of that empowerment and some more of that, you know, um, th- some more of that ability for nurses to really take charge and really be part of the solution. That's really great to see. Yeah, and, and you know, even just mm-hmm. you know creating that safe space, I think it's it's really it's scary for nurses to to debrief after you know such an incident like that where there's so much at risk during a code blue or a code gray something like that and um just having that space where it's okay to share your feelings and it's okay to share how you are feeling or even you're afraid that someone on your team was going to get hurt or something like that. It's uh, I think just as a whole, there's still that stigma there too with mental health. And um, I, I think that we can do little steps like this to kind of break some of those down and really help those individuals and just the the system as a whole, just to kind of see that mental health and, and that self-care pieces is really important. So uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, the more that I talk with nurses about the differences in in other units. It's very interesting that there are these different practices um, between different specialties, especially when when you know that there's evidence in in debriefing and something something like that. But it's not always spread across different specialties, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do really think part of that is because of the mental health stigma. But very interesting when you see that some of these strategies are not just automatically, you know, just oh, um, yeah, yeah. place across the or across all these different specialties. But uh, just to your point, really having that psychological safety, that safe space really makes a difference because, you know, in, in these other units and the ER and things, it's not mm-hmm. really stigmatized in the same way to have these conversations. Right. So oh, the yeah, more that yeah. we 
the more that we chip at it and the more that we normalize it and have this as a, a normal thing, then the better. Yeah. And, it, you know, it kind of brings me back to my point that like, you know, especially for those nurse leaders out there, that there's probably a more effective way to do the things that you're doing right now. So, you know, really take a hard look at those numbers and, uh, you know, do that research, go out there and find out what's effective and, you know, develop that plan. And, uh, you know, I think the nurses who are working under you and, and the rest of your team will really appreciate it. Yeah. And you're a great example of, you know, nurses who have these really great ideas. And if you weren't in that safe environment, right, these ideas wouldn't come to fruition. They wouldn't come to light. So it's really great to see um, you as an example. And I hope that this inspires other nurses who are listening and aspiring nurses to really use their voice to really be part of that conversation and to be part of organizations that really uplift and empower their nurses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, even to serve as a little plug, it's, you know, a lot of people are going back and getting their doctor of nursing practice, which, you know, that's largely what that degree is about is let's take the research that's been done by PhDs and how can we make it into a practical application? And it would be it would be amazing to see positions created or even to elevate current nurse educator positions or even maybe even making making a position above that where it's like uh, we, we can have that person with that background and an experience of applying those practices and making these types of systems and even implementing them on uh you know, certain specialties or each unit having their own special type of program like that. I think, I think it would be great. And I'm wondering even mm -hmm. myself, if there's, uh, you know, organizations across the country that are currently doing that and utilizing those nurses with those advanced degrees. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the more and more that uh, healthcare continues to evolve, the more that there will be these types of positions available and nurses mm -hmm. are absolutely wonderful, qualified employees, staff that can really take on those types of positions and excel at it. Yeah, absolutely. And I do want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier in the conversation. I do know that one of the things um, in your book is the topic of mitigating at-risk behaviors for students. And, uh, and, you know, going back to that topic, what, you know, I'm interested in some of the challenges uh, that you see and what are the challenges and at-risk behaviors that nursing students may really encounter during their education? Yeah. So, you know, there, there's a stigma around this phrase at-risk behavior, right? And most people tend to think that it, it means that it's a behavior that the individual is aware of and is intentionally taking the risk so that they should be held accountable for all of their actions. But, you know, th that's not necessarily true. And when we say like at-risk behaviors, this this could be factors that the student may or may not be aware of. And, you know, one great example is like work-life balance, right? So a student may intentionally choose to prioritize other things in their life, like working a full-time job uh, over studying for school. And this is a conscious decision mm -hmm. made by the student that typically results in increased stress and anxiety about both the job and their studies. Now, uh, in, in the same topic of work-life balance, a student may unintentionally put little to no effort in taking care of their physical and mental health. And it's not mm -hmm. usually until we have that discussion with a student about how exercising can impact exam performance or how di uh, daily journaling can decrease stress anxiety. You know, it's it's these components that when we say at-risk behavior, you know, th that's what we're talking about is really kind of doing that assessment with your student and finding out, you know, what are they aware of? And, and let's try to have the conversation about things that they may not be aware of, but evidence speaks to uh, really impacting a student's ability to be successful. 
Yeah. And I really appreciate you mentioning that and including that topic in your book, because I do think that that, uh, you know, that term at risk behaviors that could really be stigmatized and that could really impact Mm -hmm. the success of a student who may be having challenges, not necessarily because of, you know, there, there are so many things that they might be struggling with. So that really might come into play when it comes into their education. Yeah, and I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I'll send an email out to a student or even to someone who's that, you know, I'm doing a mentorship with and, you know, I'll use that phrase at risk and sometimes they're taken back in shock. Like I'm doing everything to the best that I can and and to see and hear that word at risk, like it feels like I'm not doing my best. And, And it sometimes it just takes them back and they really have to think about you know, what, what does that mean? And have that conversation with them and, and let them know that, Hey, there, there's even some things that, that probably even started when you were a child or based on how you were raised and that culture that you were brought up in that, mm-hmm. um, you know, has been evidence to really affect these things. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's really provides a moment for us to look at it and see, okay, just, you know, given your circumstances, how can we work together to be more effective together? That's what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, honestly, when I was a nursing student, uh, both in undergrad and grad school, I really felt like I was one of those students, right, that fell into this category of at-risk behavior. And mm-hmm. there's there's just a lot going on. But I always felt like it was always my fault that I didn't yeah. perform to a certain level. Or it's just part of this kind of culture that I think that we've adopted in medicine over a long period of time where it's oh, yeah. really... Yeah, you know, it's hard to ask for help. It's hard to feel like you're weaker, quote unquote, than others and that you're struggling. And I think that yeah. really comes into play here. That 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 culture really does need to go. And, and even with that whole idea of, uh, you know, like, nurses eat their young and all of that, that, that that's a problem, right? And, and when I think about it, I, you know, overall, I think there just needs to be a greater emphasis on mentorship and in academic nursing, clinical nursing, research nursing, all of it. And in an academic setting, uh, they're usually, and, and I say this in parentheses, a culture of a growth mindset. And in other words, through dedication and training, you know, one can develop and improve their abilities and intelligence. And there are teachers and tutors that kind of help foster this culture. But, you know, in other areas of nursing, this this may not be the case. And, you know, many units still foster this fixed mindset and the the toxic mm-hmm. culture of, you know, like I said, nurses eat their young. And, and this does need to stop. And if you want your students or your new nurse graduates or or those to even new in management roles to be successful, you know, I, I highly encourage your organization to look into developing a mentorship program to, to really have that growth mindset, you know, and create an environment that that thrives on challenges and and place your organization's value and on, on effort towards mastery or whatever it is that you're trying to achieve. Right. And this really reminds me of what you mentioned about how your book asked really hard questions. It's kind of similar to when it comes to leaders and healthcare organizations or educators, professors as part of school systems to really, you know, ask themselves mm-hmm. hard questions about how are they really trying to, you know, find solutions to these challenges mm-hmm. that come up? How much are they really helping to look into that? And so mm-hmm. it's a two, it's a two way street, right? When, when it comes to the growth of both the student and the system. 
Absolutely. And and I think the sooner that, um, you know, that the people who are working in these systems can realize that, that, uh, you know, it's not just this one way street, you know, we're not just assigning and prescribing these things to our students or our new employees that it really needs to be this working relationship that I think that yeah, you can, you're going to really see some wonderful things. You're really going to see that new student or that new graduate really rise to the occasion. And uh, as the system as a whole, uh, learning from that experience too, and see how you can make yourselves even more effective in the process of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a, a nurse leader, if someone's a nurse leader listening to this podcast or a nurse educator, how would you recommend that they proactively identify and address these challenges to support, you know, struggling students effectively? Well, uh, Charlene, I, I like to think about student success uh, you know, it's just the same as I would for patient success or, you know, achieving and maintaining wellness. And I like to use the community health approach by using like primary, secondary, tertiary prevention interventions. And, you know, primary is all about raising awareness and doing interventions to maintain wellness. And before students even start their course, you know, I provide workshops and you know, I have videos on factors that influence success. And like we mentioned earlier, like things like about exercise and nutrition and mental health and their study environment. And for that secondary prevention approach, uh, I deploy a survey that helps me better understand uh, the students on an individual basis. So I can analyze things like their academic mindset, their social skills and their grit and I, I actually want to, I'm actually going to be presenting on, on the deployment of this survey for kind of everyone to look at, at the uh, organization for associate degree nursing conference this November. So I'm really excited about that. Awesome. And, Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And let's see, primary, secondary, tertiary. So lastly, for tertiary prevention interventions, you know, those results from the survey allow me to really prioritize my time in making one-on-one meetings with those students who could use it the most. And from there, I can help the students in developing an action plan to address their unique concerns. Yeah, and, that's great. Mm-hmm. And and you know what what's typically done is that uh, students are placed into high risk categories after their first few exams. So if a student is not progressing well, uh, then the interventions are typically done to try to help. And you know the same thing can be said in healthcare. Like, how do you think a population's health would be if we only started treating something like diabetes until after they came in with diabetic ketoacidosis or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think as we see the healthcare system really trying to shift towards that preventative care, uh, you know, it's the same thing. The same idea and principles need to be applied to the academic setting and how can we be preventative? So that way we're not trying to do all of these interventions and disrupt the student's life when they're already halfway through the term and they've already taken a few exams because, you know, the the research and evidence shows that it's at that point in time when there's only half the term left, it's very unlikely that that student's going to be able to successfully change things like where am I studying or how am I paying for transportation to school or things like that, that can be really impactful on a student's success overall. So, you know, I highly encourage those who are in that academic setting or making that transition over to academics that, hey, you know, it's take the same approach here, the same preventative care approach and and just apply those principles to the academic setting. And I think you're going to see some really great outcomes. Right. And I I really appreciate the framework that you mentioned about having these primary interventions, secondary interventions, tertiary interventions. I think that's a really nice structured way to look at these different challenges and to have some really actionable solutions to help Mm -hmm. students that are going through some of these different challenges. And so that's a really great model. And again, it really 
um, speaks to nurses in a way that they can understand and really meets them where they're at. And it's also a great structure in terms of helping them see things differently, just as if they were taking care of a patient. Absolutely. And it's and it's kind of interesting because I, I think that, you know, when I started getting involved in more of the academic setting and I started seeing a lot of these problems come up um, and, and, you know, I'm thinking in my head that, well, surely they know what the solution is. Like, this is absolutely like part of what we would do in nursing or like creating a smart plan for my, my client. And, you know, I'll bring the idea up and it's like, oh, that's such a brilliant idea. Like, let's apply that over here. And it's, and it's, it's kind of, kind of put me in shock that I'm surprised that how many skills and the experience that I've developed in bedside and, and administrative nursing, like that really does transition very well over to the academic mm-hmm. setting. So, so any of you that are out there and you're kind of hesitant, or maybe again, a little bit of imposter syndrome yourself that, I, that, you know, I'm not so sure I could be a good educator. I think you're going to be really surprised at how well you can actually do in, in that type of setting. Yeah. There's so many skills that we learn in the clinical setting that can be applied to the non-clinical setting, as you mentioned. And one thing I, I really like to use in the administrative setting is the S-bar, you know, the S-bar oh, yeah. is a great one. And so if you think that you really don't have the skills, you have more than you think. Yeah. And and it's kind of funny that you bring up S-bar because uh, when we have our uh, communication with our students, we'll tell them, if you're going to respond in an email, we're going to communicate through S-bar. So that way you're going to get used to it in the academic setting. And it's going to help you really well when you're trying to communicate with an interdisciplinary team. But we start it right then and there. You need something, put it in an S-bar format. It makes that communication very clear and concise. And I know exactly what you want. And uh, it's just an overall great strategy for communication. So uh, hey, mm-hmm. we, we use it in an academic setting and, and hopefully get them ready when they're in that uh, for clinical practice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a great, great technique on, on top of what you've mentioned. It's a great tool that many nurses already have in their toolkit. Mm-hmm. And it's I'm so shocked that we're already towards the end of our conversation today. But I do want to touch upon, you know, one last question about mentorship, because I know it's been such a huge thing in our conversation today mm-hmm. and just wanted to hear from you. What role does mentorship and guidance, you know, from nurse leaders play in helping nursing students when it comes to overcoming obstacles and really achieving success? And I know you mentioned a little bit about that before, but is there anything else that you want to add to that? You know, I, I think just reemphasizing what I said before, and, and it's really just thinking about mentorship as not necessarily something that only needs to happen when someone is onboarded. And I think I see that too much where new instructors are onboarded or new clinical nurses are onboarded. We set up this mentorship and then it kind of just withers away after a few months or even sometimes a few weeks. So I really encourage all organizations, academic, clinical, research, everyone to really look at, you know, what are we doing for mentorships? And if it's only within the first couple of weeks, you know, how can we really expand this out to really be this career long approach where we can establish this relationship and create the safe space for the person to talk about some of the challenges that they're having. And just to get that kind of, you know, really good feedback for someone who's been in that position already. Uh, I, I think that that would be so great. And I know there's a lot of uh, organizations that are out there uh, that provide mentorship services and, uh, you know, look at those, you know, if you, if you feel like you don't really quite have the resources to build one on your own, I I do know that there's quite a bit out there. And I I even think for a while that ACNL was providing mentorships 
yes, uh, for mm-hmm. everyone. And uh, I know for through COVID, things got kind of uh, difficult for a moment. But, um, you know, I hope they bring that back in full force because that was such a, a wonderful opportunity for me. Uh, you know, I was able to, to mentor someone and someone was able to mentor me. And uh, it's, it's such just such a great opportunity to kind of get that insight from others uh, with their career experience and all of that. So uh, again, just look into that, see what can be done about that. And, um, you know, the evidence really does show that that can also even help with, uh, with burnout and, and really take a look at that. I think it'd be great. Yes. And mentorship is so valuable, uh, valuable. And I was actually one of the, uh, members of ACNL who also really benefited from our mentorship program that we had in the, in the organization and cannot say enough how much mentorship has impacted my career. It's, it's something that's necessary. I feel on every step of your journey. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I want to say thank you so much for joining us today, Brandon. I really appreciate the insights and congratulations again on all this work. And thank you for sharing your work with us. Yeah, th- thank you so much, Charlene. I really did have a good time. And, uh, you know, one thing that I want to do put out there before we wrap this up is that, again, the book is called Empowering Educators, a Comprehensive Guide to Fostering Student Success. And if you're an Apple user, it's for free. Go on onto Apple Books, put that in the search bar up there, and it, it's not going to cost you a single penny. You could download that for free and put on your iPad, your Mac, or your, your iPhone, anything like that. So please use it to your advantage, everybody. And uh, I hope you uh, can gain some new insights from it. Great. Thank you so much, Brandon. And our guest today was Brandon Dominguez, author of the new book, Empowering Educators, A Comprehensive Guide to Fostering Student Success. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at socialmedia at acnl.org and connect with us on LinkedIn and Facebook at our handle at ACNL Nurse. And as always, if you like the show, please remember to rate, review and share. ACNL in Action is presented by the Association of California Nurse Leaders with new episodes on the first Friday of every month. To learn more about the show or ACNL in general, please visit us at acnl.org. Thank you for listening.